Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for Well, you turn into 1 Samuel 13. Uh, there was this guy, okay, he, there was a flood, it was raining, and uh, he thought, well, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray the Lord helps me out from this flood. And boy, he's praying, and the rain's coming down, the water's coming up to his house, and somebody comes by in a big 4 by 4 truck way up above the water and says, hey, man, come get in, we'll take you away, and we'll, we'll get you out of here. He goes, no, that's all right, I'm, I'm praying, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, I'm fine. Lord's going to take care of me. So the guy drives off. Water gets a little higher and it gets up into his first floor and he's climbed up to the second floor and he's looking out the window. Some guys come by in a boat and they say, hey, jump in, jump in and we'll take you off to safety. He goes, no, I'm praying and I, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. It'll be okay. Water comes up a little more and now he's climbed up on his roof and a helicopter comes by. And the guy in the helicopter says, hey, we'll drop a ladder down until you jump on. We'll take you to safety. He goes, no, I'm praying to the Lord. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. It'll be okay. So they fly off. The waters come a little more. He drowns and he dies. <laughs> Sorry to laugh at such a morbid moment here. but And he's gone. He gets before the Lord. And he's like, Lord, I prayed. And why didn't you save me? And he says, dude, I sent you a truck. I sent you a boat and I sent you a helicopter. And you didn't take any one of them. But you were telling everybody, oh, but I'm doing this and I'm doing that. and I'm doing." You ever realize sometimes we over-spiritualize things so much that we miss the obvious? The obvious answer was get on one of those three pieces of transportation, but he's so spiritualized. That's what people are doing. Oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I have these credentials, and I go to this church, and I know so-and-so, and and they miss the obvious. And we're going to see that play out here today in 1 Samuel 13. And I'm going to call this message today, Get in the Fight. Get in the fight. It's like coach. It's like we're playing football, and he looks at me and goes, Jensen, get in there. You've been sitting around too long. (laughs) So I get in there and get to do my part. Okay, so 1 Samuel 13 and 16, to set up the stage real quick, the Philistines, they had been living a very comfortable existence in Israel's land. That is until Jonathan attacked one of their garrisons. Now the Philistines are mad and they're coming to get Israel. And so now from where we left off, we're in 1 Samuel 13 and 16. It says, Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned onto the road to Ophrah, to the land of Shual. Another company turned to the road to Beth Horon. 
And another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now, when I see a military strategy, when you've got three divisions spreading out, that tells me one thing. That tells me surround. Put up the map real quick. The Israelites were in Gibeah, and one Philistine division went north to Orpha. The second division went west, and the third division went east. I believe the Philistines are trying to set up a a maneuver that's called flanking. They're getting ready to flank. The object of flanking, if you can get your opponent to advance in a certain direction, then that means the sides get weak. And I believe the reason why one division went north was to try to draw the Israelites into advancing after them to weaken their east and west sides so that the east and west divisions could flank them from both ends. The Philistines, I think, are setting up a trap to try to draw the Israelites in. Plus, earlier in the chapter, it says that the Philistines severely outnumbered Israel. Outnumbered Surrounded, setting up a trap. Doesn't look good, does it? First Samuel in 13 and 19. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each, each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for sharpening was a pim for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, the axes, and to set the points of the goads. Okay, so what you have here is a monopoly. The Philistines had a monopoly uh, over the Israelites to prevent them from working with metal. You don't get to work with metal. We do that around here. And that was just to keep Israel militarily weak, is to keep them down. It was to keep, they wanted to stack the cards in their own favor so that if Israel was to ever try anything, the Philistines could always win. The the Israelites had to contract their metalwork out to the Philistines. Now in verse 21, it says they had to go to the Philistines to set the points of their goads. You may have heard of a goad, or you may have heard, like, oh, that guy's just goading me. That means they're prodding you. They're, They're trying to stick you. A goad is a stick with a sharp metal point on it. And it's used to make an animal do something. Uh, Today, we use what's called cattle prods. It's a long stick with two electrodes on the end, and it gives you a good jolt. Ask me how I know that. I was raised on a ranch, and Grandpa used to chase me around with a cattle prod laughing about it. (laughs) That's all I could hear was the the sound of the cattle prod. Anyway, but the Israelites had to even get their goads sharpened by the Philistines because the Philistines had restrictions on them. And no metalwork means no weapons. 1 Samuel 13 and 22. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash So nobody has a weapon, okay? Nobody's got a weapon except King Saul and his son Jonathan because they're royal. They're the only two guys that's got it. Now, let's remember what King Saul had just done recently, uh, as we had read prior to this point in time. He buckled under enemy pressure. He couldn't take it. And 
So he did not wait for Samuel to come and do the sacrifice, and it got him in very big trouble because Saul tried to do the sacrifice himself. That's not for a non-Levite to do. That's only for the Levite priest to do, and it got him in big, big trouble. In fact, Samuel told Saul that the Lord said he would lose this, his kingdom for violating the Lord's sacrifice. But now, after all that pressure that we saw before, as bad as that was, now things are worse. They're a lot worse. How do you think Saul's going to do? By his track record, probably not very well. <laughs> it makes it, things are worse. Israel has an enemy out there. They're setting up a trap and they don't even have weapons. How much worse could it get? You're, that's imminent death right there. Things are not looking good. But friends, even when things look absolutely hopeless, the Lord God always fights for his people. That's what's great about this. When you read this, it's about Israel. But being grafted into the Israelites, being grafted in with the Jews, think that the Lord will do you the same. The Lord fights for his people. Now we're in 1 Samuel 14 and 1. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sene. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Aren't you glad of that? So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. What a nice, encouraging friend. <laughs> Matthew 18, 20, we're two or more, right? So he says, according to your heart, verse 8, Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, Come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. Okay, they're going through a pass. That's the worst place to go. <laughs> you got high places on either side. You got a big rock over here and a big rock here and a pass. That's not the best place to be when you've got enemies up there. That's a, that's a bottleneck. You're asking for it. You think these two guys are scared? No, they're not scared of this enemy at all. They, what do you say? Let's go show ourselves to them. Hey, we're over here. Wow, he's not scared at all. Because by faith, Jonathan sensed that the Lord was working for them, with them, for Israel's salvation. And by faith, Jonathan acted. I want you to keep note of that. Jonathan acted. Because we're going to see Saul do a lot of inaction. 1 Samuel 13, 11. So both of them showed themselves. 
Hello. Showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. <laughs> they weren't hiding. They were just, they were out in front of the Philistines, nah, 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 like that. And they saw them. And these guys were bold. I mean, they demonstrated a very different kind of character than what King Saul was showing us, right? Who, who in, earlier he had just been sitting around watching his people scatter all over the place, and he wasn't doing anything about it. And later on in the book, we're going to see Saul still operating under fear and a lack of leadership when they confront Goliath. And once again, God is going to pull out another Jonathan, another brave guy to run out and get things started. And this guy is going to end up being David when he slays Goliath. So it's going to be kind of a repeat of what we're seeing here, sort of. But when the Philistines said, come up here and we will show you something, Jonathan was like, here's your sign. That's what he was waiting on. He knew that this was going to be, if they say this, we'll do this. If they say that, we'll do that. Jonathan is about to go and show them something. When I think about these things, how the enemy could have responded, you do realize that the enemy could have said a million other things. The enemy could have said, go back home and bring your army with you, or dude, are you for real? Or you have got to be kidding. There's a hundred things they could have said. But the Philistines said exactly what the Lord moved them to say so that it would alert Jonathan to the predetermined attack strategy that he should execute. You see how the Lord is working in this scenario. The Philistines were overconfident, and the Lord is in control, even in control of the enemy. Did you know that the Lord God has control over your enemy? That's why we don't fear them, because the Lord controls them. He has supreme authority. And so the Philistines, they were very overconfident. They probably thought having the high ground was to their advantage. Let's make these two guys climb up to us. By the time they get up here, they're going to be more tired. Maybe one will slip and fall in the process. You know, it'll be easier for us. They're trying to work the geography to their advantage, and they figure they're going to win before the fight even starts. But guys, when you're charged up in the Lord... I want you to see what can happen, even though the odds are against you. 1 Samuel 14 and 13. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. Wow. Okay. Uh, that worked. <laughs> Jonathan climbed up. Now, can you imagine the Philistines when these two guys, they're actually climbing up there and the Philistines were probably thinking, hey man, they're actually coming. These guys mean business. <laughs> these guys are serious. It seems that Jonathan and the armor bearer kind of tag teamed in their attack strategy. When you look at it, they killed 20 guys in a small field. How did they do this? Oh, yeah, by faith, I know, but you know, how did, they, how did they do this with only Jonathan's weapons? Remember, Jonathan has the only weapons around. I don't really have any idea, but chapter 13 does speak of them having a sword and a spear. 
between Jonathan and Saul. So perhaps I'm thinking how they might have pulled this off. Perhaps maybe they divided Jonathan's weapons between themselves where Jonathan knocked him to the ground with a sword and then the armor bearer came up behind him and stuck him with a spear to finish him off. I don't know. But either way, whatever they did, it was highly unlikely they would win and they did anyway because the Lord empowered them to do it. Guys, what an embarrassment to the Philistines. And also, just two guys. What a glorification to the Lord. You know, I'm just one guy. And I know you're thinking, I'm just one person. But you see how much great things you can do when you have faith in the Lord, even when it looks very improbable? 1 Samuel 14 and 15. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it was a very great trembling. (laughs) It's just two guys doing this, y'all. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away. And they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Okay, this right here, guys, this is what you call bureaucracy when you look at it. It just seems to always raise its head up. I mean, look at this. There's trembling in the camp, trembling in the field, and all the people, the Philistines are trembling and shaking, and the multitudes of them are melting away. And instead of Saul shouting, attack, he says, okay, tech roll. Let's see who left. Y'all seeing this? All this chaos going on. All right, who who, who left without my authority? Really? Is that the way we're going to go with this? Saul. You have got to be kidding me. You know what this is? It's about a control issue. Saul wants to be the king. I'm in command here. Who left? He was just scared of these guys just just not too long ago in the chapter. Now they're getting a victory, and he's concerned about who left. But when he finds out it's his own son that's out there doing all that. Now, dads, if your son was out there in the middle of this attack, wouldn't you have given the order to attack by now? Guys, get in there. That's my son. Get in there and help him. Get in the fight. I mean, you'd figure he would have said that, but he didn't. What does Saul do next? 1 Samuel 14 and 18. And Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here, for at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Okay, whether Saul ordered the attack or not, right now the enemy is getting beat. And you come up, Saul, with yet another way to stall. Bring the ark up here. First, it was take roll. Okay, who's gone? Oh, that's who's gone. Okay, now bring the ark. What, what, wait a minute. Y'all remember what happened the last time Israel fetched the ark for battle? They went into battle, and they weren't doing too hot, and they're like, okay, uh, bring the ark in. Y'all remember what happened? Let me show you. Now, it scared the Philistines when they brought the ark, but let me show you. First Samuel 4 and 10. So the Philistines fought And Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured. That's how the ark got taken away that time. It came back on a cart, but that's how it was was taken off, because they thought, oh, well, we better treat God like a good good luck charm. Get the ark in here, then we'll win. It didn't work out last time they fetched the ark because they believed God had a limited power range to it. Kind of like when you're driving, you're listening to a good station, but you get far away and, and the signal drops off, then you can't hear it. 
They were treating God like he had limited range on his power. Oh, we're losing. Get the ark over here so we can win again. That's the wrong way to look at God. If you really wanted to represent God in the battle, you should have had the ark up there to begin with, not as an afterthought. The Israelites used to carry the ark up front, but Saul's not doing this right. So why wait until now to call the, for the ark? And I want to know one thing. I don't know the layout, how far away the ark was. I mean, if he called for the ark, how long would it take for the ark to get there? 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour? The battle could be done by then. Bring the ark. Well, that's just taking more time. You need to get your guys in the fight. The Philistines are already getting beaten. Saul, your son is in there, and you do a roll call to see who attacked without your order, and then you call for the ark. How long does Jonathan have to fight out there all alone before Saul commands his 600 men to get in the fight? Imagine if you were Jonathan. You're fighting. Where's all our guys? I thought they'd be in here by now. 1 Samuel 14 and 19. Now it happened, while Saul talked to the priest, that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Okay, I'm going to explain all this. But the first thing that bugs me, first of all, is this. Let's call roll, check. Bring in the ark, check. All these check boxes going on. Stay busy. Let's look good, be doing something, do this, do that. But what's he doing now? What's it say he's doing now? He's talking to somebody. He's talking. You ever heard that phrase, all talk and no action? Okay, there you go. He's talking. <laughs> Guys, this is like strike three with me. I'm really getting <laughs> getting churned up. <laughs> What are they talking about, though? That's what I want to know. What, what, all this going on, what are you talking about? Look there in verse 19, where Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. That's our clue as to what they're talking about. Who is Saul talking to? The priest. Got that down. Withdraw your hand. Withdraw your hand from what? Leviticus 8 and 8 tells us something about the priests. It says, then he put the breastplate on him. And he put the Urim and the Tumen, I think is how you say it, in the breastplate. Okay, the Urim and the Tumen were stones that were in the, the, the priest's breastplate that were somehow used to get a binary answer from God, a yes or a no, a true or a false. It was these two stones. Nobody knows the exact nature of them. We have very little biblical information about them. We just know they existed because they're in the, in the Bible. They could have been black stones, white stones, markings on them that meant yes, no, true or false. We don't know. But somehow they were used to inquire of the Lord. Did they throw them like dice? I have no idea. But they used the Urim and Tumen to seek a leadership uh, judgment call on important matters from the Lord. Many, many times that they used the Urim and Tumen to, to find out, do we or don't we? Yes or no? Shall I or shall I not? What was Saul talking about with the priest? He was talking to the priest about using the Urim and the Tumen to ask God if we should attack or not. Saul, can you not see the obvious?
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.